show this one is with Stuart Alsop third so this guy is semi Twitter famous as an entrepreneur down in San Francisco but uh, currently he's actually in Colombia getting away for the winter but he does startups um, he interviews people just like me but he does it with people like Naval's um, business partner Nivy and and his like uh, just a bunch of crazy awesome people so um, the way we did this show actually is we did one conversation that we're both going to post on our respective shows. Um, actually, I think it was super cool that I got to speak with this guy. Uh, the one hang up obviously is that being in Colombia, there was there were, we we were doing remote, so the audio isn't exactly what I always hope for my shows to sound like. But you know, what? I think it it was it was definitely worth it. And Stuart's a great guy, so I hope you really like it. And let me know what you think. If if you want me to do more of these, I absolutely can. And if you're like no audio is more important let me know just reach out send any social media or email so lots of love and here's the show welcome to a special episode we got today we're doing a collaboration between talks with tiger and crazy wisdom i'm here with tiger tiger gruber and uh so uh yeah let's let's do it yeah it's great to be here man um i mean be here as in halfway across the world from you but uh how's columbia you enjoying it yeah, Colombia is very cool. Uh, I'm up in the m- mountains above Medellin. And, nice. Uh, you watching Narcos before you before you went there? I have watched Narcos, and uh, Narcos was a. And I'm actually uh, in. I'm right in between uh, where Pablo Escobar was born and where Medellin is. I'm in the mountains nice. above. Uh, he was born in Rio Negro, uh, which is actually where the airport is. Um, and uh, so I did watch Narcos, and actually is a. a great way for me to practice my Spanish um, it was with Narcos with Spanish subtitles. I love, I love Netflix for that. I like it. What was the, what was the impetus for going there? Uh, so I think the biggest thing was just kind of escaping the winter of San Francisco, even though it's a very mild winter. Um, yeah. uh, I was, uh, before I left, I was under a, a somewhat stressful situation. I had surgery and whenever winter comes around, I get, I get, uh, pretty, uh, depressed. So I decided to kind of just skip the whole thing and go to a place where I could find sun. Um, and, uh, Medellin has that. Yeah. Uh, and then also I wanted to get uh, my Spanish up to par so I could start doing interviews in Spanish. And then also I, um, uh, there's a, I love dancing and I love par- partner dancing in Latin America is a great place to do that. So I uh, found some teachers down here. So a little bit of everything that's that's top of your mind because I figure that's what we might just kind of ask each other. What's um like the thing that we've been most interested in, kind of uh, working toward and looking into mm-hmm. lately? Do you have one? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's I guess it's what we talked about before the show, and I haven't I haven't talked about this yet, but uh, I'm preparing to do an iboga uh, ceremony in Mexico on my way back to California, and uh, I'm <laughs> that's uh, that's that's and I'm in preparation mode for that. And preparation mode for this is very very different from ayahuasca, where you get the diet. And, you know, it's very specific instructions here. It's basically it's fortify your body as much as possible. Um, uh, Get into your body, do as much embodiment. So dancing is key for that. Uh, And uh, spend a lot of time in the forest and um, and basically just get ready because it's it's essentially the equivalent of psychological surgery. Um, So uh, 
so yeah, it's, I'm just getting, getting ready for that. Yeah. And then something we're both kind of dealing with is in preparation for that, you got a 10 day retreat. Have you done those before? I have. Yeah. And I've, I've done, I've done, uh, three in Vipassana style, but not Vipassana Goenka, uh, Vipassana, um, uh, in the Theravada and Thai, Thai, Thai monk tradition. Cause Goenka, the most people associate Vipassana with Goenka and Goenka mm-hmm. is from Burma. Um, and the Thai, have, the Thai, Thai people have a very similar type of, uh, Vipassana instruction. So I, I went to a few there. Uh, and the one that I'm doing is actually this one I'm about to do is not a Vipassana style. It is a, um, tantric yoga, uh, but that's with a K. Uh, so it's, um, it's essentially yoga descended from a philosophy from ninth century AD, uh, Kashmir, India. And, uh, uh, and I'm very excited about this one. I've done this one before as well, and it is pretty powerful. The reason why I don't go into much as much Vipassana, particularly the Goenka style, is because they don't have much space for movement. Um, and I think mm-hmm. movement is really key uh, when you're doing uh, 10-day meditation retreats. So that's the main thing. Yeah. You know. yeah, that's actually something that's kind of persuading me into a different style is because uh, I went to a Power of Eight session recently where you're just sitting cross-legged for two hours and you mm-hmm. barely move at all. And I'm like, you know, that was kind of a lot on the body. And so I'm yep. thinking 10 days of pretty much, um, cause that. I mean, the goal of Goenka is eventually to not move for the entire hour. And like, like, and, and like, I, I don't understand. I'm sure that they have a reasoning behind that, but do you know the reasoning why they, they, they encourage that? Yeah. So a big part of it is actually just being aware of the pain and like, what does it mean? Um, and I think like, I obviously haven't gone through it yet. So I'm talking on my ass, but like <laughs> just when you experience pain, that isn't like, okay, I'm going to be long-term like, um, deformed from this or like in, in you know, this is actually injuring me um, just to kind of like as a way to get over it and be like it's not the end of the world mm-hmm. you know like you stub your toe and you can just look at it um, passively as the watcher as you mentioned but mm-hmm. or as you mentioned before the show yeah so I don't know I still it, it, feel, it feels like a no pain no gain type of thing um, <laughs> and, and I, I think that that's a false uh, a false like why what's the point uh, it, pain there's enough life pain in life itself to actually like it's just uncover the pain that's already inside of us already uh, that we've kind of pushed away and well yeah so interestingly enough I actually think it helps with physical like do you have physical pain or just mental anguish or uh, no physical pain yeah yeah mm-hmm. so back or shoulders or what no, it's pretty much whole body. Um, I, when I was doing all these 10 day meditation retreats, I had had a, uh, a medical treatment called Invisalign and the Invisalign was moving my teeth. Um, and turns out I found out later that the provider wasn't as knowledgeable as he could have been. And so it was actually moving my teeth in the wrong direction. And so oh it's, yeah, so it was pretty painful for a long time. And then, so it kind of threw off my whole spine and uh, and a lot of other things. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's been a lot of physical pain, uh, but th- that that's before that it was mostly emotional and, and there's this weird kind of thing where I turned it from emotional into physical pain. But. Interesting. So, so I've been blessed to not really ever have to deal with mental anguish, but physical pain, like I actually have dealt with, um, jaw pain recent, recently. Mm-hmm. And I think the most interesting thing I learned, anyone who has, um, if you're a mouth breather or you just have a kind of lower jaw or if you have jaw pain, look into orthotropics and mewing it pretty much just braces should be a last resort for your teeth it's just Mm -hmm. kind of good jaw posture like not very many people have it most people leave their mouth slightly open um just passively instead Mm -hmm. of having not clenched but just kind of your teeth resting against each other with the tongue on the top of your mouth um and then for hard mewing like if your teeth are way off it just kind of widens the palate like the basis of it is we're meant to have 
way like just be chewing harder stuff like barks and just like grit um but we don't do that anymore so our like our it's pretty much like our um, our jaw muscles are all just kind of atrophying so i personally even have mastic gum which is like this really it's like a a tree sap from over in greece Mm. and it's just it just works out your jaw muscles and it makes your jaw just better more defined and feel better um my jaw pain has gotten significantly better since doing those three things but for a while that was brutal i'm like what's wrong with this and then you realize you're just going against all of evolution by not ever working it out and having bad posture. Oh, and it's funny because they say that uh, the the helpful thing you can do for TMJ is to not chew gum, um, because mm. they, they 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 say that repetitive it's repetitive stress. But I don't think there's actually any evidence behind it. I think I think it's more of the kind of um, the opposite of what we were talking about before, the no pain no gain kind of thing. The like, interesting like. A lot of modern modern medical no 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 don't do that it's too painful or whatever like we'll try to avoid any sort of pain whatsoever no absolutely and but mastic gum is even so regular gum is like i don't really think it works out your teeth much this is borderline Mm. like chewing like plastic or like it's not plastic it's just Mm. tree set but like something or clay or something really hard like it's like it's if you do it for a while almost like your temples will get hot and sore the next day Mm. um it's it's just so much but a further extension of that is when i was a little bit younger like 18 i was dealing with chronic back pain from no specific source mm-hmm. but i do believe it was just from sitting down all day in school with bad posture and eventually deadlifting um completely helped that so like chronic pain has been a thing that i've been interested in and I, so i think actually dealing with it and just like like i don't really let it affect me but just noticing it um just through my own like mindful meditation through sam harris's app and practice and stuff like that um has definitely got me so far. And so I think I'm excited for a 10 day retreat to just really have a lot of time to look into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but, but like, and this is the whole thing I think with retreats, cause there is this element and I'm going on a retreat. So it's like, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. kind of go against whatever I'm just saying, but there's an element of that. You don't really need to go anywhere at all. You don't really need to do any practice whatsoever. It's available right here. And I think yeah. the quickest way to do it is ask yourself the question, who am I? Um, have you ever worked with that before? No. And what's really interesting is that someone, uh, I did another person's podcast or we, we podcast swapped and his main thing is he asks five questions. Who are you? Why are you who you are? And then stuff like what makes you similar and different to other people. Mm. And I always take the, the question of who are you and like, why are you, um, not in as like attack or an affront, but like more of the whole goal of life is to not strongly define as anything. Mm. I mean, Krishnamurti even says like, anytime you define yourself, like, Oh, I'm a, a white male and I'm whatever religion and stuff like you, he, he even goes as far to say you're being violent against the world. Cause you're like separating yourself from the others. Um, but to like take a less intense view of it, you're pretty much just being like, Oh, I'm all these things. And I think today in society, it's even more common where people will be like, Oh, I define myself by their mental illnesses. Like, like whatever, if you don't want to call it mental illness, but like they say, Oh, I'm a, they'll, they'll go as far to like say cis um, cisgender, cisgender, whatever person, uh, this religion, bipolar and stuff. It's like, that's so many ways of defining you that you have to upkeep. Mm. And I think it's actually detrimental. So I, I think the question yeah. of who are you is just no one kind of thing. Well, and that's, that's the whole point of the practice. Cause it's not, it's not meant to, um, it, it gets to the root of all that, uh, because it's, if you really ask yourself that question with a strong desire to know the truth, uh, none of the things that the mind, um, creates as an answer to that question are ultimately satisfying. Like none of them are, are, are true in the ultimate sense of the word. So you're left with a almost like a feeling state. Um, and if you inquire deeper into that feeling state, it can lead you to like much uh, 
faster, much more integrated, much more kind of like direct. This is who I am. And I don't mean to say that in, in words, but like the, 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 the essence of, of who yeah. we are. Well, and that's actually, um, so I'm actually going to be screen printing merch soon. Screen printing, by the way, is like one of the most difficult things I've done in terms of I've messed up dozens of times. But um, the main thing that's on the back of the shirt is just I am because that's kind of um, I say it on my show a lot is like that is what it is. If someone says, oh, who are you or what are like, it's always like an affront on you. Then either I can say, oh, you are this where I'm making an assumption about you or you have to say you have to like defend yourself like, oh, this is who I am. Whereas just like I am is in and of itself, like an adequate statement for why you exist. Like you don't need a reason to exist. You're validated, you know? It reminds me of somebody mentioned something about the most embarrassing thing for all of us is our first email address. Um, and uh, kind of goes back to when we're young uh, and uh, all these websites, at least when I, you know, when I was growing up and, and we had the internet and we had all these usernames, we had all these descriptions that we had to give. Uh, and it's like trying to define our essence, particularly as young people. I was just like, what the hell? I have no idea what to put here. And that's, that's the embarrassing, uh, output of that. Uh, Absolutely. what was your uh, first? I'll, I'll, no, I'll still probably be embarrassed by the one I used today. I mean, my, the one I use today professionally is just Tiger Gruber, but anytime I have like a, an online account and I don't want to use my name, I use King of Time 69. it's <laughs> Right. It's just good, <laughs> quick and funny. And don't take that. Anyone listening, that's mine. Don't, don't take it. Um, mine, mine was Cali Love 19. Cali Love. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. So, so I don't know, man, I've been more and more getting into just the kind of idea of just as, as you said, with your Iboga trip, just being the watcher, just not necessarily strongly identifying. Um, I mean, that's like, as you were saying, Theravada Buddhism's like base tenet is you're not your body. And then further than that's, you're not even your thoughts. Right. Mm. I could be wrong. Have you, well, have you ever experienced that the, like a, an actual experience of not identifying with the body? Yeah. So absolutely. I haven't tried ketamine, but that's what I'm looking forward to trying next. But I have done DMT extensively uh, mm. almost daily or multiple times daily for a couple months, like three months. Um, and not every time by far, it's, um, it's almost not even dose dependent. Like I would do my largest dose and almost not even feel it. And then I do 20 milligrams, um, in a, in a, in a vape and I would completely leave my body. If it was in a pitch dark mm -hmm. room with no loud sounds going, the most interesting thing it's gone. And I don't know if I was gone for, you know, like, I mean, people always say it's so, so colloquially like, Oh, forever or one instant, but it's really like you just, you leave. And then when you come back to your body, like I, I just remember vividly like gripping the blanket and being like, Oh my God, I'm still here. Like, you know, just so mm -hmm. grateful that I was still like that. I still had more time left in this mm -hmm. in, in tiger, you know, I was like, mm -hmm. Holy shit. <laughs> and then I did it again. No, I'm um, um, what was the, what, what is the, what is the intention behind doing DMT? Yeah. So I actually go against that whole sacred and you need intention and all that stuff for me. Um, Cause I've experienced it a lot of times and I actually have a whole theory on it, like a theory of everything that has to do with DMT. Um, and I think it's a lot more sane than most people's. Uh, but my intention behind it was interesting. Actually, my first time ever doing it, I, I just heard Mike Tyson talking about on the Joe Rogan show. And I was like, you know what? I want to try that. So I looked it up online. I ordered all the ingredients. I made it. And, you know, you use naphtha um, and just these toxic like ingredients. And then I was sitting there like vaping it early in the morning. And it felt like I was like, like 
it felt like a lot like other psychedelics, but way stronger. I'm like, oh my God, I could die. I'm like, I don't know anyone who's actually done this in real life. Yeah. The people on the internet could have just been fucking with me and I could have just killed myself. And I just remember just like having the most profound experience ever because of that. And then I really did was forced to think, I'm like, Jesus, why am I doing this? And I was like, well, just to see what it's like, like while I'm here, I experiment around with everything available um, that won't like permanently injure me. I think you know, like I would, I would have hated to make it to the end of my life and be like, oh, I didn't try something that I could have. You know? Exploration. Or yeah, exploration. cosmonaut. Yeah, but, but super quickly, if, if I can, my theory of everything, because everyone gets so wacky when they talk about DMT, dude, with like jesters and entities and, I, and machine elves. And I'm not really any of that. What I think it is, and um, actually want this to be in the public sphere a little bit more, is it's just... I mean, so, so it just binds to serotonin receptors. All psychedelics break down into pretty much DMT, which binds to serotonin receptors, the 5-HT2A receptor. Um, and then if you look it up, when, when you die, or at least when rats die, they'd give them, um, they'd kill a rat, but they'd be measuring its serotonin levels as it did, and it just spikes when you die. And I've, I've like put this out on Reddit, and people are like, oh, what, so you think DMT trans, like, turns into serotonin? I'm like, no, I think... It just binds to the receptors. I'm thinking all it is is just serotonin and uh, melatonin is so similar. And who knows if that's what causes dreams? But at the very least, when I take melatonin, I have way more intense yeah. dreams that night. Yeah. So I really think that DMT is just like uh, exogenous serotonin. I think we do spike our serotonin when we die. So taking DMT is the closest thing to experiencing that. Um, and I do believe that you could probably get there through Wim Hof breathing and meditation. But I don't think it's actually DMT in the brain. I think it's just serotonin. Which is already uh, in there. That's interesting. Have you read the book uh, Psychedelic Information Theory? Mm -mm. No, I think you'd really like that. Uh, he goes into a whole a whole theory uh, 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 similar to what you just described, but uh, and it goes particularly into that receptor, uh, and then interesting. a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Um, highly rec recommend it. Nice. Um, have, have, have you experienced any deep depersonalizations? Depersonalization. Does that mean uh, not identifying? What, what do you mean? Yeah, not not being your person, like no longer experience, like identifying with your body, being just the consciousness. I don't know. I mean, I, I would say that in deep sleep, I've done it, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, sometimes I don't, shallow sleep. Honestly, interesting. Like like when I'm in the space between being awake and asleep. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, like often I'll wake up in the morning. That's my absolute favorite time. Um, I'll sometimes set like alarms like 30 minutes apart and knowing full well, I won't wake up for them just to kind of stay in that zone mm. when I think, um, I mean, you don't experience any physical sensations. You're, you are just your mind thinking, um, but further along physical pain and stuff um, and thinking about sleeping, I've actually been sleeping on the ground. Like, I mean, I have a bed still in my room for when my partner comes over. Um, she won't sleep on the ground with me for obvious reasons, but it's been unbelievable. And I would suggest everyone try it um, with little to no pillow and just, just blankets on the ground. Yeah, it's pretty grounding. I'll be, I'll be doing that. <laughs> uh, I'll be doing that on, on the 10 day retreat. Nice. Yeah. Th that is kind of more preparation. Like the 10 day retreat I'm going to up in, on Alaska, Seattle. I think I'll have a bed, but I just want to be, I just want to get ready and, and just kind of getting back to my roots, you know, just if getting back to like what makes us humans. I think we're just getting so coddled that I think a lot of chronic ailments and pain that come up are from over coddling with like a bed, which is pretty much just a, a cast for your body for eight hours. So it's so comfy that you don't move. And then you wake up after eight hours and pretty much not moving. Your body's like, 
just develops weird things that it shouldn't because you're supposed to move at night, you know? And this gets into this great book called The Elegant Defense, uh, which is about the immune system. And uh, as you just mentioned, the chronic chronic things that are going on right now, a lot of that is an overactive immune system because it hasn't been stressed out enough, basically. Um, because we've essentially, we've essentially uh, removed all opportunities for our immune system to be tested by uh, sanitizing everything. And uh, so uh, the immune system essentially doesn't know its boundaries and starts to uh, attack the body as if it's, as if it was a foreign entity. Um, uh, huh. so oh, you mean, you mean autoimmune diseases? Yeah. Autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's interesting, man. Um, for me personally, I haven't gotten sick in quite a while. And I think, I don't know if it's a big thing, but I noticed, um, I started taking Kratom daily actually. And I don't think I've gotten sick since then. It's been close to three years or maybe I've had like a one day flu or something or like not even a flu. Like I don't think I've vomited or anything. Um, and I don't know why. I think if you look it up, some people hypothesize that Kratom for some reason helps with the immune system. But for whatever it is, I swear I don't get sick. It's the most interesting thing. Uh-huh. Have you ever so done five MEO DMT? Is that, is that what's called? The, the toad yeah, one? Yeah, the toad one. Um, <laughs> no. And I don't know if I have too much interest in it i think i mean i would if it was ah just the fact that like on that one you can vomit Mm. way easier um and for me personally whenever i take psychedelics i like taking them alone Mm. um so that i don't think that would match up well for me and i take them alone purely because i don't really want someone just looking the idea of having a sitter like someone who you trust fully oh wait my internet become unstable interesting um I should be good though. It says I have full bars. Um, the idea of just having someone there, I I just don't trust anyone that fully mm. um, to have complete, like almost complete autonomy over my physical and mental. Like if you if you were to take five meo DMT and I were to just start chanting something, like I'm sure it'd work its way into your psyche. You know, um, that is interesting. You would definitely not like iboga then, because iboga <laughs> is uh, I, I will be out for. Uh, uh, I'll be basically dependent on somebody for at least a day and a half. Um, yeah. yeah, that seems crazy to me. I think the one that I am interested in trying the most is ketamine. Have you ever tried it? I have actually. I was that was the winter before uh, this winter. That was actually one of the most helpful things for um, uh, for for the, the seasonal depression uh, that I went through. Um, and interesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, but I, I take it. I take it. It's really interesting. I have a I, microdosing, and this might be something I should I could work on. Is that full doses of things scare the shit out of me. I don't like to ah. lose. I don't like to lose it. So the, 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 which would be interesting when I do a boga. Cause that's like, the I was going to say, that seems like the furthest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a weird, there's a weird paradox there. Uh, but, um, uh, the ketamine was interesting because I was taking it a little bit more than a microdose. Um, just whenever I was feeling down and it got me out of that basically, but I didn't get to the point where it was a, where it was a depersonalization or D, uh, um, uh, disassociative state. Um, yeah. So, so you never like quote unquote K hold. No, definitely not. No. Interesting. No. Yeah. I don't know. I just want to experience with, um, just a longer session of depersonalization because DMT, it's hard to get there. I think I've only gotten there three times out of a couple hundred sessions maybe. Um, and from what I hear, K holding is very much just that which I'm excited about, but then I'm excited. I don't know, dude, I've been really curious about if consciousness is actually the antithesis of happiness. Because whenever I'm happiness, happiest, like it feels like I'm, my consciousness is at its lowest state. Like I'm the least 
aware that I'm in the moment. As soon as you become like you're having sex with your partner or something, or you're Scott, like, you know, you're doing something where you kind of get into a flow state. And then as soon as you start being conscious of it, it, it you ruin, you have no, you're, you know, it takes you out of it so much that it's less enjoyable. Hmm. So, yeah. I, I think this gets into uh, a helpful Sanskrit term that goes into a, a way of thinking that we don't have, which is Ananda versus Nanda. So Nanda is conditioned happiness. Um, and Ananda is unconditioned happiness. And so conditioned happiness is anytime like sex with a partner, anytime you're in the flow state, anytime that your happiness is dependent on conditions. Um, and then, as you said, you notice that and then you're like, oh, I don't want it to go away. I want it to stay. And then there sets, sets up a trap for suffering. Uh, Ananda, Ananda is uh, supposedly a byproduct, which is a paradox because how can you get something that is unconditioned, uh, but it's a byproduct of meditation. Um, and it's, I think it has more to do with this kind of serotonin, but a kind of an endogenous serotonin type of thing, which is a completely, uh, when I'm in that state, it, it, thinking about it doesn't really change it for me. Oh, so, so I don't know if I get that in the sense that like, like I'm like, Oh, I'm there, but I definitely have a baseline of like, I don't think I've gotten mad in, any recent memory or sad um like i definitely have like days like i call them instead of depressed like just depressed like all days where if i'm like just doing like i did six shows in a day and then next day i drove up for two hours to do two shows one with like a congressman and stuff so like i'm really busy and then the next day i just don't even want to get out of bed but i'm not sad during it i think most people conflate sadness and deep rest as like oh i'm depressed in the traditional sense of like oh i'm really sad but depressed just being in deep rest and like a depressed state I think it's just a time for your body to like rest, reassess, see how you see like what you could do better next time mm. or like, or even just like tell your body like, like, Hey, you did well. Just like, just rest. Like, even if you made a mistake, like at least you learned from it, you know? Mm. So I almost, once you, once you realize that like, there's no reason to ever regret something cause you did the best that you could at the time. Like, even if you are self-sabotaging in some way, like you couldn't have not self-sabotaged till you did it and learned, you know? What's the biggest thing, thing that you've learned from DMT? Oh, so, so again, I had the three depersonalizations. The first one I came back, I'm like, oh my God, all we have is time. Time is the only thing that we have. It's so important. I just sent, because that was the first time I ever like left my body. I just sent hearts to every single person in my contact list on my phone at like 3 a.m. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with all my time? Time is the only thing. And then um, about a month later, I had another depersonalization. Where I was like, and energy, what's time without energy? You could have all the time in the world, but if you don't have enough energy to do stuff, it's, if anything, a hell, you know? But then if you have too much energy and not enough time, that's a, a manic state for the most part. Um, so I think I realized that all we have is our time and energy, and those should both be, uh, you should just look into when you're at your best. I'm actually looking into getting an aura ring. I think uh, the Jack Dorsey tweeted about how he used one during his 10-day retreat, and I looked into it and just kind of like, measures a lot of metrics like your body temperature and heart rate and stuff to to like when you're sleeping and awake to just kind of show you when you're doing your best so i could track like what foods like you feel really good eating some foods but then three or four hours later you start getting inflammation from them and feeling bad so maybe those are less good for your time and energy you know so mm -hmm. i just learned to to really respect those two things more than anything mm -hmm. time and energy yeah which is which is why my biggest 
what I take as the biggest attack to me is when someone like, is willing to like waste my time. Like <laughs> they're, they're somewhere and they could easily take an Uber. They're like, Hey, can you come pick me up a half hour away? Drop me off somewhere and come back. And I'm like, I would literally pay you money to buy an Uber rather than drive there. Cause mm. I think time's that important. How do you know it's a waste of time ahead of time though? Oh, you know what? I've almost started thinking everything's a waste of time. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Kanye quote I like the most is, time is very time is extremely valuable i love to waste it but in terms of like how many parties and things have you been to where as soon as you get there you're like why did i even come to this i would be so happy just at home you know but there's no way to tell that beforehand and some times yeah. sometimes parties or experiences are like <laughs> far, far beyond my expectations uh yes. and, and and lead me to down avenues i would have never gone down so it's impossible to tell really no 100 percent, and that's that's always the the catches any party you don't go to will be the best party of your life that would have changed your life <laughs> profoundly. And anytime you do go, it's uh, boring. No, but, uh, and again, I don't believe in like wasted time if you're enjoying it. And I think if you are at that, um, what was that Buddhist term you used? Just in, um, the Ananda. non Ananda. Yeah. Ananda. Yep. So, so the second one, um, if you are always just kind of like baseline joyful or happy, just like, and like just enjoying being present and feeling like sensations and just like enjoying your time as a human being. I don't think any time is necessarily bad. Like you can just be sitting on a DMV and it's not that bad. And that's why I actually don't read um, too many books. I think I've been reading a lot of Krishnamurti because uh, Naval talked about it. And so I got one of his books and then I got a second one and then I ordered every single one of his books. <laughs> um, but outside that reading just hasn't, I don't know. It just doesn't really get me there anymore. I swear every 200 page nonfiction book, like, like thinking fast and slow. I'm like, this could have been encapsulated in maybe 20 pages if I'm being generous, but probably 10. And but I just, the, I'm just not about it. But uh, the issue with that is that the way the brain retains information is over time and there's this forgetting curve. So there is an element of, so about 90% of everything we learn uh, is gone within four days. Um, and so a relationship with a book over time can give you essentially like really get into the author's kind of frame, frame of world and allow it to kind of seep into your brain as well. Um, and if you just read an encapsula encapsulation, uh, usually those lessons are gone pretty quickly. There is something to be said, of course, that, um, that maybe your brain has ways of only getting the most important relative, rel relevant information. Oh, so I, I do a daily practice where I do spaced repetition memorization. So it, uh, okay. I, I'm really interested in the, I'm really interested in the body and biology and biomechanics and how the body works. And there's a lot of terms. Um, and so this, uh, algorithm is essentially very helpful for, uh, uh, memorizing terms. Cause that's the, when I'm, whenever I'm reading a document that has a lot of jargon in it um the main thing that gets me in the way of me understanding what they're talking about is the language that they use um and so uh so the space repetition is this computer program that where i quiz myself with flashcards um and then it's based off of this algorithm so right when i'm about to forget something it'll bring it back and then i'll test myself and it'll form the it'll strengthen the memory um and so and what are you trying to remember because because see i don't use my memory in that way in terms of like i couldn't tell you all the 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 different framings that I think with, but I mm -hmm. think I I live in a way that I do moderately use and remember them. Whereas I don't like consciously try to remember anything, even like 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 memories and past, like history and past and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it's just not something I think I put any importance on, mm -hmm. except for like frameworks for thinking. 
Well, it's, yeah. it's for, it's for communicating with other people. So the biggest, the biggest, uh, the biggest, this application is mostly used by programmers in order to learn how to program computers because you can, uh, uh, memorize a lot of abstract information that's com- communicating with a computer, but it's also used for foreign languages and I've used it a lot for that. Um, and I think that it's impossible to learn a foreign language unless you're really young, uh, without rote memorization, rote memorization. A lot of people, particularly in the tech community are, uh, and, and startups and stuff like, uh, I don't do, don't do memorization, but I think it is impossible to learn a foreign language uh, without rote memorization. Uh, and then, so that was the first time that I got utility from this thing. And then, uh, then once I started to get more into the science behind what we're doing when we're doing yoga asana, um, and moving the body, uh, there's this whole new vocabulary, um, that now if I, interview a doctor or I interview uh, a physical therapist, I can basically speak with them at the same level and really understand what they're talking about in person um, rather than, uh, and and this isn't to say that you can't impart really valuable, important truths with basic language, because I think that's the most important thing is to use a basic language. But anytime you're entering one, (laughs) I mean, it is, he spoke Uh, to people who were uneducated, not like, like not, I'm not saying all his voters are uneducated, but I'm saying he used simple words and it it cut through the jargon, you know? And remember how they, uh, how the, the neoliberals would always kind of, uh, uh, say that he was unsophisticated and make jokes about him, but that's exactly what, what you said is that the exactly yeah. no. Um, what's so interesting is, and what I'm about to say is extremely ignorant and wrong, just as a heads up, so you can feel free to, to debate this and whatnot. But I'm actually, um, I have no interest in ever learning a second language, and I almost don't want my kid to learn a second language. Whenever someone says, Do you want to learn, like, oh, do you want to learn a second language? I'm like, I would rather be better at speaking English. I think, um, obviously, coding has a higher, uh, uh, um, easier to scale, like what you, you, your words or your, your vocal, like your vocabulary when you're coding something. But I think speaking to other people is like the most leverageable thing, like getting people on your side, um, and just being good at talking, I think is the best skill you can have. And I'd rather be really good at it in one language. And I consider like coding, like a second language, kind of like you would be like learning Spanish. So like you, you, you probably know three languages, English, Spanish, and, uh, and whatever, uh, programming language you chose or multiple. Um, um, but for me, I'm like, I think I'm just going to like, like, I think I, I unspecialize in a lot of ways in terms of like, I write books and make music and do podcasts and stuff. Um, but in terms of like the language that I speak and the way that my mind thinks, I'm, I'm really interested in actually just getting very, very good at speaking in a way that, you know, tunes people in. Like, have you ever been around someone who, whenever they talk, you always have to say what? Cause you just tune out when they talk. And so I've looked into that. I'm like, why? Um, and what I've came up with just like noticing is that they talk in a way that isn't engaging. They'll like talk to themselves out loud and they talk about things that don't matter enough that you start tuning them out as like, Oh, that's not important. So I just want to start learning how to speak in a way that is like a magnet for I, attention. I would, I would say that learning another language is the best way to do that. Uh, just like uh, going to another country and doing full immersion, even if they speak a different, they speak the same language is the best way to uh, uh, learn about your own culture. Um, because there, we are all human beings, and so I'll give you a fact here: that, that when a, when a child is born, the child's mouth and the child's brain connected to that mouth are able to make every note possible known uh, pheno, uh, phoneme uh, in the uh, in any language in any uh, on the planet. Uh, and then once we lose, we, once we learn our native language, 
uh, we lose the ability to make other phonemes. Uh, so interesting. And they actually, they call Sanskrit a complete language because it, it, it um, has all of these phonemes represented in it. Uh, but um, so there's a basic structure of language. And when you learn another language, particular language, it's very different from your own. And so I, I speak Thai as well. And that one taught me a lot about how, how to communicate uh, because it's very simple. Uh, it's almost like caveman style. Like I do that. We go there. We go there yeah. past. Um, and so, so this, this, it, it, when you learn another language, you're able to get what is the basic form of communication we use as human beings in order to uh, communicate. And so by far, uh, learning how to communicate in Spanish has taught me a lot about how to communicate in English as well. Interesting. So like, and, and again, even before I said that, I prefaced it with I'm probably wrong, but this is the way I'm going about things where um, I try to read as little as possible to the, to the point where I actually want to see if I can go a full day without even reading an English word. Just almost like, like I wish I like driving instead of saying speed 50, there's like a symbol for speed. Like it'd be interesting to see how far in the world you could make it or just live without reading a word. I guess you'll experience that on your 10 day retreat and your boga trip. But um, just the, I think the whole concept of just being extremely present, not having any memory of the past or like thinking about anything, just, just being there, but then knowing how to eloquently and succinctly just like having really good vocabulary of speech or I mean uh, economy of speech just like talk to someone in a way that you connect from human to human and you actually break through culture I think culture is one of the biggest things that holds us back and I know that's a really unpopular opinion to have but I think culture is another thing that separates us like I'm saying when I speak with someone who is a, of a different a radically different upbringing whether it's different um, race or gender or something there's always the slightest um disconnect like i can still connect with them well but like just different ways of like oh i i grew up like this so i'm i was told by others that i'm supposed to act like this and then you bring that to conversations it's just a a form of ingenuineness that always just kind of makes me like why though you know like can't we both just connect as just consciousness and human beings so you said something and i'm going to try to encapsulate it i, I believed what you said was that not that any time that you're brought out of the present uh, or that we disconnect from the present, that is actually a not a true statement because we're essentially always present. Ooh, are we though? I don't think we are. Maybe yeah. you can be. No, no. Maybe you, you can you can presently be. No, I think you. I think you can be totally a split second in the past. Especially, I never smoked marijuana because it puts me pretty much a half second in the past for a couple hours. What do, you mean, what do you mean by you? Oh, you know what I mean? Tiger. <laughs> um, whoever is here talking with people like I, but that's, I but that's not you. something. No. Okay. Well, what do you mean by that? Like, I mean, you have to be able to, to act and talk practically in the world. Like I, you can have these beliefs, but it's then it's not about our beliefs. It's right now. Like right now we're both present and both, yes. of our, both of our presences have not changed, even though our conscious self-awareness of our presences has uh, gone in and out and contracted or expanded. Um, yes. But, but right now we're both talking without thinking before we talk, but have you ever been in the place where you think about a, every word before you say it? you're almost delayed? So I would say that that's the default no mode network or the ego, but what about the substrate to the default mode network or the uh, ego? I don't know what the word substrate means. <laughs> it means the, the foundation or the, the thing holding up the default or the, cause, cause default mode network is not 
the ego is not us. As we talked about, it's not, I am in this body. I, 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 these thoughts are happening, but there's something aware of those thoughts. And that thing that's aware is the more, you know, this is where language gets harder, but it's, that's the deeper, that's the deeper part of me. That's the truer essence of me is that thing that's aware. Um, yeah, but, but you are also your ego. You know how you say deeper self, which kind of alludes to the, the other part is still you, you know, like I think, I think the whole colloquial saying like we're nothing and everything that encapsulates like you are like, you're not your body in the sense that like, if you stub your toe, it's not the end of the world. Like you don't have to have negative attachment to that feeling, but also you are your body in the sense that if you're in a really bad environment, it affects your consciousness very strongly unless you've trained for dozens of years, you know? Yeah. It's the most gross part of you, but <laughs> it's no, 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 gro- no, gross. I don't, I didn't mean gross in, in the sense of, of disgusting. I meant uh, gross in the, uh, in the physical, uh, physics sense, uh, gross mm. versus subtle. Uh, so, uh-huh. so, uh, the, the physical body is the, the densest, ma- most material form of you, uh, the mind, or maybe even the awareness is the most subtle and nuanced and lightest or air like, or, you know, quality. And this is getting into analogies between, you know, having uh, space above you, earth below you, dense our body is made of earth um and this is kind of our mind is made of spirit or or uh um and and so that but it's a continuum so it's like you as you said it's a paradox you can't you can't say you know Stuart without this body is not is not possible um yeah but, but whatever i'm made of does go back into the earth and like doesn't disappear it's 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 recycled so yeah and that kind of gets to the whole what is consciousness um have you heard of pan panpsychism yep mm-hmm. is that kind of what you're uh, alluding to in terms of all atoms have a sort of consciousness to them well i mean so energy is consciousness panpsychism seems like it is the most um so let me see if i can express this i've never expressed it before <laughs> the my everything i'm experiencing right now is only subjective there's nothing and there's nothing that has ever come into my awareness that has not come from another subjective source so anytime i've read something this maybe goes back into our earlier discussion but every time i've read something that's coming from somebody else's subjective understanding which was influenced by their subjective understanding of their family's instructive and then so on and so forth it's all turtles all the way down um so there's nothing that has never been present outside the space of consciousness and and when i say consciousness i mean my own personal subjective awareness of everything and this is kind of what they get into uh, i think it's solipsism which is like i i cannot be sure uh that you are real um um, because i have no way of going into your head and no way of going the only thing that i really know is that i am i've got this consciousness but I, i can't tell whether anybody else is a robot or not Obviously that's not true. Um, but there, there is the, there is this, um, so that leads me to the panpsychism thing being the most accurate way to describe what is going on. Uh, because if I close my eyes, the world disappears. I open my eyes, the world appears again. Um, in a sense, I am creating the world when I open my eyes and, and, and so there, and, and, and this kind of, you know, I don't want to use quantum physics to, to back up a, uh, esoteric, metaphysics. yeah, metaphysical thing. Uh, but the observer affects the observed and, and, and if you're observing something, you're affecting it. Um, and so 
it does lead me to believe that panpsychism and it was the, actually the first, it was the first understanding of consciousness as well. It's like, if you go back to any hunter gatherer tribe, they all believe that everything around them is conscious all the time. Yeah. Animism, like the gods of the, the, the trees and stuff like that. But I was going more, cause I don't actually know what panpsychism exactly is. I know it's a very uh, woo woo kind of thing that a lot of neuroscientists don't want to talk about, but <laughs> it makes sense to me in the sense that I think um, how you can perceive or how people frame consciousness is a spectrum and on the one side of the spectrum is humans are conscious that's it the brain creates consciousness as an engine and the other side of the spectrum is um like all energy is consciousness like rocks like everything is consciousness and then so it almost goes in the more complex and um and complex it is that it's like more coding like a fruit fly has 20 lines of code go toward this smell eat it, breed, you know, and then like rats have more, they have like 200 lines of code all the way up until humans with the big forebrain have like one of the most complex um, configurations of atoms in such a way that I don't know if consciousness clicks on once you get to a certain size or a certain number of code, coding lines, or honestly, I've kind of been playing around with the thought that what if consciousness is almost like a mutation that maybe it clicked on a long time ago before humans had a big, like a, could sustain it, or maybe it just maybe it clicks on all animals or maybe it's just us and one other animal. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily this innate thing that happens whenever an animal gets a certain brain size. Mm-hmm. Um, that was obviously facilitated by all the things we do, like tools and language, but I'm almost thinking it might be like a cancerous mutation in a way in the sense that I think other, I think happiness, I don't think happy. Yeah. Again, it goes back to happiness and consciousness might be the antithesis of each other. Like, I think it would almost be better if humans never clicked on. Like you got to question that um, obviously in your DMT trips, but also uh, just when you're at your most present is it's like, why is, why is there anything rather than nothing? Why did time click on? Why, why, why is this happening? You know? And that was a lot there. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about um, there. I think what a lot of people would say is, why is it important to ask those things? Because there will, is n- no answer. But then yeah. there, the, but then there's something else you wanted to, you said about consciousness that reminded me of something I've been thinking a lot about. So right after the Cambrian explosion, where or right before the Cambrian explosion, uh, there was where all of life on this earth really started. Um, there were just kind of like these blobs of life that would move around and like eat, um, and would just like kind of feed off of off of the ocean and stuff, and there was no predators and no prey. Um, and then the impetus for the nervous system to develop was a sense, a sensing and signaling, so that uh, an animal would sense its environment to see whether there's predators or whether there's prey. Um, and then, due to this evolutionary kind of uh, craziness, uh, highly developed nervous systems were were developed in order to either become better predators or to avoid predators um, through sensing and signaling and everything on this planet senses and signals a plant uh, senses its surroundings and then uh, you know releases chemicals in order to kill ants uh, to and then we as human beings have the most highly developed nervous systems but where i found this piece of information was also in a book that talked about the octopus and the octopus also has a highly developed nervous system but it has no spine and it has no vertebrae, um, and but it also developed a highly developed nervous system, uh, which is very very similar to ours. And they also have very similar eyes to us. 
Um, so two, there are two instances of a highly developed nervous system developing in wildly different life forms. Um, and so it tends to make us think that something about this, this gets into the question of like progress. Uh, and cause I believe in the East, this might be a wild overgeneralization of Eastern philosophy, but Eastern philosophy doesn't really have this kind of notion of progress uh, because your being is perfect. Our being is perfect. Our awareness is perfect as it is. There is no sense of progress, but in the West, we have a long tradition of thinking about progress um, and like in evolution is kind of like, it seems like that it's progressing towards some sort of goal. Uh, but most scientists would, most people would say, no, no, there is no progress. It's all random. There's only a random element to this. Um, and there is nothing uh, structured, but I don't, I don't think they have enough evidence to make that claim. Um, Interesting. Well, I definitely think there's progress um, in the sense that, I mean, uh, not to jerk him off too hard, but like Krishnamurti, his whole thing is like, we all desire one thing. What do we desire? The betterment and the progress of ourselves. We want to be better. Even if you're helping someone else, you're doing it because you know it'll bring you longer lasting betterment and happiness, you know? So I think there is progress in the sense that we all want to progress in life. We want to be in a more happy um, and stable, happy, healthy, wealthy, and free. We all want those four things. Um, I think we work toward it, but in the same sense, I also don't think any of this was necessary. Like this is kind of a, a like two thoughts that are completely different, but I hold them at the same time. Um, like, like one of my, my other things. So on the shirt, there's going to be, I am on the back. Um, and then the other one is good is bad and bad is good because I think they are the, the same thing. And I think they feed into each other. Like I think Trump may be quote unquote bad in the present, but I actually think he'll be really good in the long run. Um, I think a lot of the things he, he's doing is feeding into a lot of good things that are going to happen in the future. Like I think anything bad that happens tends to lead to good. And if you try to do good, you're like, Oh, let's not kill this spider in my house for if you're a maniac. Um, and then the next year there'll be 20 spiders and eventually you have to do something. So you have to kill more of them instead of less. So like the good ends up being bad. And that's a whole, like just one little analogy, but you know, like I think there's no progress in the sense that there's no good or bad that can happen by doing stuff. But I do think you can progress through the things as quick as you can. If you want to get to like the end, like the singularity, like there's a, a concept called accelerationism. And I think people like Jeff Bezos and Trump are accelerating what we're doing faster like they're just shaking things up in such a way that things keep moving quicker and quicker and quicker and who knows if the end of accelerationism is self destruction but i i have i have hope and faith that it is a better singularity something like um technology gets to a place where we all can just meld consciousness or whatever or you can like like you get a big <laughs> as soon as a scientist hit it it's like everyone just gets a you win kind of thing like you would in uh plague ink like after everyone dies you get like a you win you know like it, i don't know i don't know but the opposite good instead of bad so i only got about five minutes left and i'm i think i might open a can of worms here that will be uh longer than five minutes but uh good and bad i think the reason why most people who meditate long enough uh come to the conclusion that good and bad are just can be dispensed with at the abstract level are because ultimately we don't really know whether Trump is good or we don't really know whether Trump is bad. We have hopes or we have fears over whether Trump or Jeff Bezos or the singularity or all these different things. But ultimately both from where both of us are sitting right now, we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen um, past five years from now, past three years from now. Even I would even venture to say that we have no idea what's going to happen over the next day. Um, so 
so good or bad are relative subjective terms that can are placed are in somewhat arbitrary ways over highly nonlinear complex very very like unpredictable circumstances but because we have these brains that have essentially found evolutionary benefit from finding meaning and linear narratives out of this nonlinear world uh we we are kind of over and over and over again attempt to place things into buckets of good or bad um so i don't know if i i i think we don't know i I agree 100 percent um and if you take that so far it gets to the place where um there's almost no need to ever talk because like, like say anything but then it's fun to just kind of ignore all of the the things that you get from meditating because you're like well it's still fun to enjoy and participate and act in the world you know yeah um like, and some so, people do go, do go all that way and they they take vows of silences for for yeah because yeah, i mean i've definitely been at there where it's like i don't want to do anything i i would be super happy just to exist just to be just to enjoy consciousness and just being present till the end of my days but then i'm like yeah, it's fun. It's fun to act in the world. You know, it's enjoyable. Like uh, I'm consciously accepting the pleasure pain cycle that I'm engaging in. Like I would rather live on a roller coaster than on a treadmill kind of thing. I think most people would, would agree with that even if they might say that they don't agree with it. Um, yeah. Well, unconsciously agree with it. Cause people do engage in sadness. Like they get into a relationship when they know the other's going to move in a year and then they get so sad. It's just the fact that they get caught up in it. They get caught up in the sadness. It's like, no, enjoy the good parts, but then realize that you fully kind of brought on the sadness, like the attachment or the whatever you you engaged in the sad cycle. Like, man up and take it, you know. Cool. This has been a lot of fun. Um, anybody who's listening should both go subscribe to the Crazy Wisdom podcast and to Talks with Tiger. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and hey, man, I would love to have an in-person conversation with you next sure. time you're back in the states. Yeah, are you, uh, are you, uh, do you ever come down to San Francisco? Where are you? Um, Portland, right? I could absolutely fly down for a show. That'd be awesome, man. Um, cause I'm just up in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, okay. I could drive down or I could just fly down. I might be going to Santa Cruz, uh, this summer to speak with a friend too. Oh, cool. Well, I'll be, I'll, I'm very close to Santa Cruz. So, um, what, so what, when are you getting back to San Francisco? I'll be back March 5th, March 10th. All right. You heard that Stuart's uh, stalkers March. <laughs> no, I like, well, March 22nd is no April 22nd. is when I'm doing the Pasta retreat. I'll probably head down in June. So cool. That'd be awesome, man. Um, I appreciated your time and I love talking with you. I'll look yeah, forward to speaking with you in person. Cool. We'll meet up. Right. Yeah.